Let's go to Ruth chapter 3. If you have a Bible, that is your cue to grab it, open it up, or turn it on. Um, hello. We're going to read the entirety of Ruth chapter 3 while our pianist plays. Here we go. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, that is Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say I will do. So Ruth went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone, gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose uh, before anyone could recognize them. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley, and he put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest but settle the matter today. That's the end of Ruth 3. Thank you, Hillary. Lord, as we uh, consider these words, your word and this story, this wonderful, slightly quirky little story entitled The Book of Ruth, Lord, would you speak to us? I pray that your heart would really just come through, come off the pages, Lord, that this wouldn't, uh, merely be an exercise in theology, but Lord, we want to know you better. We want to experience your presence here and really get closer to your heart. So Lord Jesus, would you help us? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. 
Okay, um, if you're like, ah, oh, Ruth, I feel like I'm, I'm just jumping in like halfway through a story. That's, that's exactly what's happening. Um, so allow me to, to quickly kind of summarize where we've come to so far, because this is uh, chapter three of four in the story. Um, the story starts out, Ruth, chapter one, verse one, in the days that the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. And that's a, that's a little hyperlink to the book that precedes the story of Ruth, and that is the book of Judges, which tells the story of how there was a time in the history of Israel, God's people, when these quote-unquote judges ruled the, the land, and there wasn't an actual king in the land, so everyone just did what they thought was right in their own eyes, and it went terrible for the people. Um, it, was, it was chaos. It was violent. Um, and uh, that's how the story begins. We actually zoom in on the life of one woman and eventually her daughter-in-law named Ruth. They've lost uh, their husbands. They're experiencing the loss of food through famine. And the picture is painted quite vividly. It's a picture of hopelessness, bitterness, sorrow. They began their lives full of hope, and now they're empty. And there's not a whole lot of hope to be found. Except, in the middle of that, this young lady named Ruth... Naomi's daughter-in-law, she makes the bold decision to stick with Naomi, her mother-in-law. She is the faithful friend. Um, and that begins the story of steadfast love and kindness, that of a faithful friend in the midst of utter hopelessness. Then in chapter 2, we glimpse a ray of light in an abyss of darkness. We're introduced to the kinsman redeemer, Boaz. Now, in the ancient world, if you're wondering, like, what redeemer? Who or what is the redeemer, the kinsman redeemer? Um, in that time, the way a young woman like Ruth or her mother-in-law, for that matter, a widow would survive the loss of a husband, that's the, sort of the next in line, the next family member, like the brother of your deceased husband or maybe an uncle. Uh, the closest relative who was able would basically marry that woman to, to provide for her, which obviously sounds radically patriarchal and, and, and sexist and everything else, but this, this is the ancient culture, right? That's the context. Um, it's actually a really good thing. Um, it's part of their law. Leviticus 25 explicitly states this must be done. Um, so that these, these women aren't just like left to thin for themselves. Um, it's obviously a context far removed from our own, but this is, this is the story of Ruth. And so Boaz, towards the end of chapter 2, he appears on the scene as the potential redeemer. And there's all of a sudden like, uh, yes, a sign of hope. Uh, you know, we almost named our youngest son Boaz. I thought it was, no, we do, we, we'll, we'll argue about this later. We debated whether or not to name our youngest son Judah or Boaz. And I'm like, veto. Like, Boaz is a weird name. <laughs> um, just my opinion. But Boaz is an is a outstanding guy, an upright dude. Um, he is 
the redeemer or potentially the one who might end up stepping in and providing for Ruth and thus uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi. And then in chapter 2, we're not sure what's going to happen until we finally get to chapter 3 as we've just read and all of a sudden redemption has now come into the fore. It's happening, or at least it looks like it's going to happen. And it's, it's a bit of a love story-ish. Um, at, at, this, at this point in the story, now that we've kind of like come right up to the, the climax, I would say the book of Ruth is the story of God's redemption. Unfolding in the incredibly unspectacular events of the ordinary lives of everyday people, just like you and I. The thing that makes the book of Ruth and this story so um, spectacular is the fact that it is utterly unspectacular. And in fact, the, the love story, it's not really much of a love story at all. It's, it's more of a story of some regular people making some really tough decisions. Choosing faithfulness. Choosing kindness. Uh, choosing vulnerability. Choosing generosity. Choosing to bless and to pray for the, the innocent and the needy. And as we just read, choosing to be the answer to the very prayer, the blessing that Boaz just proclaimed. If you were here last week, you might remember this prayer that Boaz prays. This is chapter 2, verse 12. Let me read this to you. When Boaz first meets Ruth, he says this to her. The Lord repay you for what you have done. He's heard the story about this young widow who's stuck with Naomi. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I don't know if you caught it, but Boaz becomes the answer to his own prayer. When Ruth appears in the middle of the night, she says, cover me in your wings, which can also be translated as, as cover me with the corner of your, your garment. Ruth is like, hey, you prayed that prayer. How about you answer it? Very, very practical. Very normal, utterly unspectacular. This is the story of God's redemption in a barley field. Um, I was at a prayer meeting this week, a couple days ago actually. Uh, once a month, there's a few uh, pastors at different churches in Portland, and we get together the first Thursday of every month. And we go and we sit around, drink some coffee, and tell our stories, and eventually get around to praying for each other. And uh, I was asked to go first. I said something utterly unimpressive. Um, I said, well, I'm feeling a little anxious right now, and, but otherwise pretty good. Next. And then it came to like two, two pastors around the table, and this guy, someone I, I really got to, he said, oh, I got to tell you what happened to me last weekend. I was invited to um, speak at this big event in Southern California, and it was actually taking place at this really nice hotel um, in Orange County, and, and, and there was a bunch of people there, and it's, it's this kind of popular celebrity destination, apparently. 
And he said after he was done preaching, he went to the men's restroom and he had a, a few sort of pastor groupies uh, with him there in the restroom. And then he heard someone walk in the restroom and he recognized the voice. He said, sounds like you guys are having fun in here. And he turned around. And this is my pastor friend. He looked at the man. And he said, Adam Sandler. So he starts to chat with Adam Sandler in the men's restroom. They apparently end up reconnecting at the hotel bar later that evening. And he's sharing the story. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, what did I do last weekend? <laughs> oh, yeah. I got a beer with Seth. And then Adam and Rochelle Lazenby came over for dinner. And we built Legos. Is it, though? <laughs> Actually, I loved every second of those moments. But Adam Sandler, come on. Um, and here's my point. How many of us um, wish for, hope for, uh, dare I say, secretly expect for the spectacular moments to happen? In the book of Ruth... Is an incredibly unspectacular story of God's redemption unfolding in the lives of ordinary people, everyday folk, just like you and I. That's the book of Ruth. Redemption in a barley field. It's not even much of a love story. I mean, think about it. Ruth arrives and uh, no fireworks. Uh, no sex scene. No soundtrack, no epic battle. There's not even like a, a struggle between Boaz and the other redeemer. He's like, well, if he'll do it, cool. But if not, I'm, I mean, I'll just, I'll fulfill my duty. And then before she leaves to go home, he gives her a parting gift. 60 pounds of barley. <laughs> can, you, can you imagine? She gets, she gets home and Naomi's like, how did it go? How did it go? Like, what did he say? What was he like? Was he nice? Was he sweet? Oh, it was fantastic. It was magic. And at the end of the night, before I left, he gave me a bag of barley. It's what I've always hoped for. To not starve to death. Just Boaz. There's not even an actual miracle in the story. At least not in the sense we normally think of miracle. It's all incredibly normal. Just simple people. A, a small town farmer and an immigrant field worker meet up. He does the honorable thing. And she's a good friend. And the story of God's redemption begins to unfold in the unspectacular events of their normal lives. What do you think about that? Let me ask you this. What do you imagine when you imagine the redemption of God working out in the difficult stuff of your life? Okay, think about the difficult stuff of your life. For some of you, it's like, okay, got it. Not hard. I can think of five things. 
For some of you, you might be like, my life is really good right now. Think hard. We all long for redemption. We're not all suffering famine. We're not all widows. But we all long for redemption. Creation itself longs for the redemption of creation itself. We all know that there's something slightly broken about the world. Creation itself testifies the world is broken. Humanity is broken. I am broken. We are broken. And so there's something in us that hopes that there is a redeemer. And maybe it's God. And maybe he's able. And maybe he's not done with his creation project. And just as he's promised, he will return to finish the work that he has started. And he will redeem all of creation, me and you as well. So we long for that, don't we? Deep down, what do you imagine that might look like? How might that feel? I suspect um, we sometimes, perhaps, imagine it's going to be magical, like spectacular, miraculous even. And I wonder how oftentimes um, it's something else. Maybe something much more normal. Incredibly unspectacular. And yet all the more powerful itself. So here's an an encouragement and a challenge. The redemptive work of God doesn't require spectacular outcomes could be an encouragement because you think oh that's good news because there's very very little in my life that is spectacular goodness it doesn't require spectacular events doesn't require uh quote-unquote miracles or maybe maybe just different kind of miracles that could be super encouraging or challenging because perhaps you're like me, and when you hear about someone's weekend chilling with Adam Sandler, you're like, well, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) Like, I never get invited to those meetings, and I began to sort of like rack my brain, like, what what can I share? What can I, and I remember like, well, I did share a pizza with Stephen Baldwin one time in London, if that counts for you, most of you are like, Stephen? You mean Alec Baldwin? No, Alec's little brother, Stephen Baldwin. (laughs) Super cool guy. Um, and then I felt kind of lame for even like going there. Like, why? Who, who, what am I trying to prove? Who do I have to impress? And that challenges me. How oftentimes do I think, man, the move of God, the miracle, the redemption that I'm hoping for, surely it will unfold in the spectacular. And then I think God reminds me like, well, perhaps, um, or maybe not. Now, <clears throat> that's not to say that life is boring. Let me, let me quickly uh, add that caveat. Uh, because if we keep reading, actually, like if we get through Ruth, which we will next week, um, and then we just keep reading the story, like the story, oh, spectacular things happen. Spectacular moments await. 
Uh, quickly, we'll get into the book of, of, of Samuel, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, my favorite. We get to my favorite character in the Old Testament, Elijah, the fiery prophet who raises someone from the dead, who confronts 450 prophets of Baal, like, a, like priest of the demon god, and he challenges them. And he says, if your God is real, fine, so be it. If mine is, let's see what's up. And they have this like showdown in the valley and fire comes down and he, he, he basically prays and starts a famine and then prays again later and ends the famine. He outruns a chariot. All of these spectacular events go down and then, and then he takes off and begins to run through the desert. Eventually he finds himself back at the mountain, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And he finds himself in this cave in the mountain. And he's listening to God. And we're told that there's this fire and there's an earthquake. And there's this powerful wind. And he keeps listening. And God's not in the earth, the wind, or the fire. Until finally he hears the still, small whisper. The thin silence of God's voice. God in the unspectacular. And so that's not to say that we simply settle for uh, mediocrity or boredom or less than spectacular miracles in our lives. In fact, if our hope is in this life alone, oh, God, pity us all. We do well to dream of and hope for the resurrection of our bodies and the supernatural, if I can put it that way, ultimate redemption of the world and our lives and every and all of creation itself. But the means by which, uh, the journey, the process along the way is much like the story of Ruth for most of us, for most of life. Occasionally, you might get to have pizza with a celebrity or fist bump Adam Sandler in the hotel lobby. He told me they actually fist bumped. She's like, that's like, what's cooler than that? But most of life is the incredibly unspectacular stuff. It's the ordinary. And God is in it all. Redeeming our relationships, healing our pain. could be an encouragement, could be a challenge. If we keep reading far enough, eventually you'll reach the climax of God's true redemption story. No fireworks, no sex scenes, no soundtrack, no epic battle, no palace or parade, just a baby in a manger. Very ordinary. No fireworks, no sex scenes, literally no sex scenes. It's in the creeds, virgin birth. No soundtrack, no epic battle, no palace, no parade, just a baby in a manger. There will be miracles and spectacular moments, but ultimately redemption will be won by crucifixion, the king dying for us between two common criminals. That is redemption in a barley field.
the power of God at work in the incredibly unspectacular moments of life. Could be an encouragement or a challenge, probably a bit of both. What do you dream of? What are you hoping for? What are you expecting? Where's your hurt at the moment? Probably relational, if I had to guess. Um, probably something to do with your body, if I had to guess. Probably something to do with money, if I had to guess. Like these are the big, the big things of life. A dream that you had that has not or is not working out the way you had hoped. And you're holding out for the spectacular breakthrough. And I wonder if perhaps we don't miss it so oftentimes because God is right there with us in the middle of the ordinary. Right there, working. I long for intimacy. I bring this up all the time because it's just like relationship. It's, it's like the stuff of life. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be loved. I want a chance to reciprocate. I want to love another. And so we desire intimacy. And if, I, I don't think getting married, I know actually from personal experience, getting married is not the solution to loneliness in life. Not figured out, let me, let, me, let me tell you. Being single can be the most incredible season of your life. For some of you, that might even last for your life. And you wouldn't be alone. You wouldn't be alone. But some of you long to be with someone. Some of you have someone and you long to create a family. So there's like relationship stuff. It's always somehow right at the heart of life. It's the best and most painful stuff of life. And so you long for redemption in your relational pain. And I wonder if sometimes we're dreaming of the spectacular and God's trying to meet us right in like the ordinary. No fireworks. No, no Netflix special. No nothing. Just, just plain old amazing Friendship. Friendship. Intimacy and friendship. Physical touch and friendship. Being known, being seen in friendship. Is that even possible? Not spectacular enough? I wonder. I wonder. Now forgive me if that seems trite. I don't, I'm not trying to uh, be overly simplistic or, or harsh. I know how, how hard life can be. I know how complicated it can get. But I also know that we all have the tendency to think that it's got to look a certain way. It's got to feel a certain way. It's got to be sensational. That's the world we live in. It's sensational. The story of Ruth reminds me that oftentimes the story of God's redemption its unfolding in the incredibly unspectacular events of ordinary lives, everyday people, just like you and I. And sometimes the most spectacular miracles um, wouldn't actually fit into the miracle category at all. It's just people like making godly decisions, and then seeing how God is present, working, telling the story of his redemption and those, just the normal stuff of life. And then there, there will be adventure as well. 
I remember one of my uh, greatest objections to becoming a follower of Jesus. I remember this vividly. When I was in my early 20s, I would occasionally think about life and death and purpose and heaven and hell and all the things. And I would think, man, if I ever became a Christian, um, the pro would be I don't go to hell. I used to, I used to have this thought all the time. I won't go to hell, but, oh, life is going to be boring. Oh, God, it's going to be boring. And you know what I found out? I was totally wrong, right about the hell part, totally wrong about being bored. I've been bored in like 20 plus years. I wish life was boring sometimes. Like just give me the mundane for a minute, please. Follow Jesus, say yes to Jesus and put the shoulder straps on. You'll, you'll, you'll experience adventure. You'll be challenged to the core. You'll learn how to take up your cross. Um, but I think most of life is just doing like the simple things. Being a good friend. Showing up. Showing up. Learning how to become a decent listener. Enjoying friendship while you wait for a lover. You can even begin to experience the redemption story of God in your suffering. Just a baby in a manger. There will be miracles and spectacular moments, but ultimately redemption will be won by crucifixion. The king dying for us between two common criminals. This is the incredibly unspectacular love story of God. Can we stand together, please?